This special episode of Brave Spaces is made possible with the support of McGill University and Université de Montréal. What are the lessons that we have learned during the COVID-19 pandemic? And how do we make sure that these lessons are not lost as we continue to face new and evolving challenges? Hi, I'm Vardy Travitsky, professor at the Bioethics Program at the School of Public Health of the University of Montreal and chair of the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation's COVID-19 Impact Committee. I, along with my guests from the committee, will pursue these important discussions and issues as we reflect on where we are today and where we think we need to go together. The enduring effects of the pandemic and the questions about how it has been handled mean that most institutions, public and private, local and global, have to take a hard look at their performance. Beverly McLaughlin, retired Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Canada and 2020 Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation mentor, believes that our system of justice, taking in its broadest sense, must undertake some real self-examination. I've realized that our justice system is not just a system of government-provided courts. That's important. But it is also a whole system of civil society, NGOs, uh, various uh, groups who are dedicated to helping people who need the legal protections that the Constitution of Canada gives to them. NGOs and community justice services, they have proved most helpful in this situation because they deal with people on the ground. When people can't get to a law office or they can't get to a courthouse, they can go to those places. And uh, fortunately, since the Access to Justice movement got going about 10 or 15 years ago, we've seen a plethora of these small organizations, often partially or wholly funded by non-governmental sources. They're there to help women who suddenly find themselves on the street without a home and three children to look after. They're there to help people who are going through a housing crisis. And they can take up a lot of the slack through counseling, through making connections, to telling the person where they can go for help and uh, other means. Did you expect this uh, important contribution from civil society? I've been working with a lot of these groups and I've been so impressed even pre-pandemic with the wonderful work they're doing. But my impression is that they've helped pick up a lot of the slack, a lot of the job rather, that the more uh, formal governmental tribunals have not been able to handle. I'd like to explore with you more specifically and of course related to uh, your own perspective on society What did you think, uh, how did you feel when the courts uh, started to shut down uh, with the pandemic and what implications did this have? Well, uh, it's a very big picture, but of course, I felt very concerned because having worked in the court system for most of my life and seeing the men, women and children whose lives are affected by the decisions that are made there. The dislocation is enormous because the justice system is a big, complicated system. And at the hub of it are our courts. And when the courts shut down, then police have nowhere to go to take their people, da-da-da, how do you arrange for bail, and so on. If you are involved in any kind of dispute that goes before the courts, there will be documents, there will be pieces of paper, that's the foundation. 
So how do you do that when there's the counter is not open in the courthouse and you have a deadline coming up? How do you deal with those things if nobody can get to a judge and nobody can get to the paper? So they started e-filing in most places. And that just means that lawyers and other designated agencies uh, can have an electronic track and they can send their document that way and get it filed that way. Makes perfect sense. We were doing this in the Supreme Court of Canada for many years, working up a system. It takes some time to build up the system. Fortunately, in some parts of the country, we'd already started putting in place uh, some uh, virtual systems so that these could be upgraded and expanded. And so a lot of these things were up ramped quickly, stood us in good stead, and I think prevented, uh, you know, a real calamity. But this is one of those things we shouldn't go back on now that we've built it up in our provincial courts and our local courthouses. Let's move on it. I'm not one who says that courtrooms should be closed forever, that justice should be virtual. I think that we do need our open courtrooms where the press can be present, where the public can come, where juries will deliberate together once they are capable of going and sitting next to one another. But we've learned that along the way, a lot of the interlocutory applications about, you know, documents, uh, uh, disclosure, uh, how we, how many days you get to do this and that, those, a lot of those things can be dealt with online. So you've been actually describing to us your ideal <laughs> uh, vision for the future of the justice system, this combination of in-person and virtual. Do we in Canada currently have the infrastructure that is required to kind of fulfill this vision in terms of the virtual? Do we have the funding for that? Is there political will yeah. to build what's necessary? There's a whole lot of questions there. The first one is we don't have it. The second is there's considerable will from certain sectors to do it. And the third is that there will be need for funding. And this becomes a question of priorities, which will be very, very critical in the post-pandemic phase. We all know that important steps need to be taken in the health and wellness sector and how we would deal with such pandemics in the future. This isn't a criticism, but governments were very much caught on the back foot. And it's been very difficult to come up with the appropriate response in every case because of lack of precedent, because of the fact we'd let our agencies that were supposed to be ready for this, uh, we, we got complacent and let them slip. So we need to invest a lot in, medic, in the medical healthness, health, welfare, public health sector. We know that. But somewhere in that piece, we have to find the money to make our justice system work because our society is founded on the idea that every Canadian can get justice when they need it. So we need to keep our court system strong and we need to keep it accessible and we need to keep it proportionate. You know, it's no good going to a court where you may have to wait two or three years. That's not going to give you the answer. So there's a lot of thinking to be done as to how we can do better justice delivery and then how we can improve but it's hard for politicians, I think, sometimes around the table faced with the need for health care improvements, faced with the need for education. Our two big advocates say, oh, well, justice will be looked after somewhere down there. But I believe we, that is a terrible error, because if you don't have a good justice system, nothing else will ultimately work. And the people will end up disrespecting society in a sense. They won't trust their institutions as much. When people believe they can go to court and get a remedy for whatever it is in their life, health, 
education, whatever, they will have more faith in their system. That's the foundation of our system. And we cannot let that slide. You give us so many interesting examples of the impact on people when their uh, access to justice is uh, impeded or slowed down. Who do you think was most vulnerable to uh, these issues of not having access? I don't have stats, but this is all anecdotal. But I think what I kept hearing when I talked to people uh, was that it was the, um, the families and women There may have been elements of abuse between husbands and wives and and between children and parents uh, in some cases. And coupled with the psychological stress of maybe not having your work or losing your job, not being able to go to school, whatever it is, it created very difficult situations in homes. And so... How does a woman who is fearing for her life from her partner, who she feels is going over the edge, actually deal with that in the pandemic situation? Is she going to pick up the phone and say, uh, come quickly, Uh, I'm in fear of my life, when her husband is hovering over her? And what is she going to say when a counselor calls her virtually and she's in a an apartment where everyone can hear what she says. These are the real life stories you're hearing about people who find their access to support services cut off and, uh, and are, are living in this situation. I wanted to mention one thing that I think is vital. One of the special groups impacted the most, I believe, uh, by this pandemic have been uh, rural, often indigenous communities who do not always in Canada, unfortunately, have uh, access uh, to these court and counseling systems that might otherwise be uh, available. If we do move to more of our court system being online, virtual, which I hope we do, we have got to improve our digital infrastructure throughout the country. We need to make sure that everyone has some way of accessing, if not through their home in their community, these uh, digital services in, in rural parts of the country. Recently, for International Women's Day, you published a wonderful piece that congratulates uh, women for their contributions during the pandemic. And you mentioned specifically women within the legal system. Tell us a little bit about the work that you've seen women do uh, during the pandemic within the legal system. I spoke of uh, the people who work in the organizations who help Indigenous people, women, and others get through their justice crisis. Those people have been working overtime. They've been working in courthouse annexes. They've been working in church basements, and they've provided a, a real lifeline in the justice system. Women have been key pillars in this fight to keep justice alive and going during the pandemic, despite the strictures. And um, that goes right down to the, 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 the cleaning staff and the, the, the people who are there wiping the counters and making sure that everything is done. So, yeah, women have been, been huge in this pandemic and have shown that as uh, Mao Zedong said the women hold up half the sky, but I think they held up more than 
their share uh, throughout this pandemic in every sector of our society. I wanted to ask you uh, on a personal level about what surprised you the most in the early months of the pandemic? I think the sense of shock and fear that I felt all around me when any turbulence suddenly comes upon society. People don't know what to make of it. But when it did happen in the first start of the second week in March of 2020, people took it seriously. And everyone learned a new way of living. And they learned it very quickly, washing hands all the time, eventually, although it wasn't soon enough, wearing masks, and how to be sensible when you're facing a terrible situation. And then all the economic privations, all those people who are suddenly seeing their paychecks in jeopardy or canceled or their jobs lost and so on. There was a sense of calm, though, and a sense of how we can help each other out through this. It was this whole coming together around the community, around the notion that something bad had happened, that out of something bad, maybe something good can happen too. You have to seize the opportunity. You have to look at the tragedy, however serious it is, and try to do your best with it, and hopefully in the end, bring out something good and improve the society when we're all through this. So now a year out, do you still feel a sense of uh, hope, uh, optimism? Uh, Do you still see Canadian society in this positive light? I have a feeling just, just in recent weeks and months that we are going to come through this well. And with our society enriched and strengthened, There will be huge challenges, just as there were challenges after the Second World War, and many of them, for example, in the the job market. The economy was already changing exponentially, and this is going to give it another boost. Uh, The old ways of doing business, this kind of thing, well, I'll take a hit, and there will be different ways of operating after. But those will create new jobs. The same thing happened after World War II, and uh, people said, We'll never get back to normal. How are we going to heal? And of course, all that was very difficult to work through. But what came after was was a huge transformational process in our society where we moved from a sort of creaking post-industrial age into a new way of communications, a new way of huge infrastructure projects across the country. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for rebuilding, rethinking first. We need to rethink before we rebuild and making our society, bringing our back a society, but not only back to where it was, but into a new uh, new era. So I look at this and, and I'm pretty positive. I feel on every front that there's room for positive uh, growth. Thank you so much for this historical perspective. You know, we're so stuck in the here and now, surviving another day, another week. It's so helpful to remember how in the past we've emerged from big, tragic periods. So thank you so much for that. Thanks, Vardit. This was lovely. Bye-bye. This concludes this episode from the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation's COVID-19 Impact Committee. A special thanks to the University of Montreal and McGill University for making this important discussion possible. Follow the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter to hear news about our community. And of course, subscribe to the podcast. Till next time.